Welcome to the Pancast Radio Podcast. I'm Ethan Fox, your host, and today I'm joined by Andres Rodriguez Story. He is a vegan chef and baker from Flagstaff, Arizona, and he helps run the Green Collective at Northern Arizona University. Andres, welcome to the show. Hey. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, so tell us about yourself. Um, I'm... Uh... I live in Flagstaff right now. I just graduated yesterday from NAU. Um, studied nutrition and restaurant management. Been like you said, I think right now I've been vegan for about three and a half years. Um, interested just anything with food, uh, baking, cooking, experimenting with food, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know what else. I, know. I like taking trips, doing adventures, whatever. Yeah, I was. Um, I saw you went. All, you. you rode your bike across the country, right? To California? Well, from uh, Phoenix to LA. It took about five days. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, that's, so uh, what was that like? Um, it was pretty rough. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the first couple days, the first three days weren't too bad, but then by day four, that's when it was getting pretty bad. Um, just like everything was hurting. It was all uphill and windy that day. Uh, but in general, it was, it was a really good experience. Like, um, I don't know, it just kind of, I think there was only one thing to do each day where it's just like get on the bike and pedal for hours and hours and hours. Like there was no thought of like, oh, should I do it or not? Like it was just the only thing uh, that I could do. And at the time um, I was kind of on a schedule. Like I had to make it to LA by a certain day because I had to be back in Flagstaff for work. But then um, my job, they closed down because of COVID. So I didn't really need to get back in time. But yeah, like in in the moment it was kind of just like grind every day. Like I'm on a time schedule, I need to hurry up. So, but yeah, it was really fun. I, oh, that's great. Yeah. And so why did you go out? I don't, I was just, um, there was this friend I met a few months ago and we were just kind of joking about how like easy it is to take trips if you really, if you really think about it. Like maybe, I don't know, I feel like a lot of times I used to plan trips too much, but then I was like, I could just get on a bike and go wherever. Like it's not easy, but like it's possible. And we were kind of joking about it. I was joking about going to San Diego and then uh, LA was just seemed better. Um, and then I just kind of thought about it more and more and it went from like idea to reality. And I just needed to buy a few things like a nicer backpack and some water bottles. I mean, nothing like maybe $200 worth of stuff just to get me ready and then I was ready to go. Very cool. Yeah. So talk to us about um, your baking and food experience. Um, yeah, I mean, right now I'm really into baking, like sourdough baking. Um, I've been into cooking and baking for pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, it's, I don't know, I just, I like that it's kind of sciency and art put together um, with that sort of thing. And right now I'm working on starting a, I don't know if you call it a blog, just some website where I can just slap any ideas that I have in my head um, kind of informally and just kind of record and archive things that I've done. So yeah, what kind of ideas do you have that you want to put out? To um, I just want to, I guess, talk more about cooking without recipes or baking without recipes sort of thing. Just more like, cause I feel like a lot of um, blogs out there, or recipe books, it's very like, do it exactly like this. Like don't, don't try something new, but I like, I want to like put more kind of information out there in the world of like, it's hard to go wrong and like going wrong sometimes is the right thing to do where you don't really know what you're doing, but you do it anyway. And then you see what happens from that. Cause I mean, I've had baking experiments that didn't go well and they just kind of end up like a brick, like a flavorless brick of dough or whatever. But like, that's how you figure out what doesn't work, I guess. So yeah, I just kind of want to experiment with things that um, kind of haven't been done or maybe have been done, but haven't been documented before. So that's really cool. So that almost looks at like, normal well like an actual science where you're always experimenting and always trying to find something new right? yeah exactly yeah so what are some of these new um discoveries that you've made? okay i mean well, the most recent <laughs> one i can think of was um i was trying to see if it was possible to make a bread that was like fluffy without using any um like not not yeast or sourdough or anything like that just just flour water salt um and my idea was it's kind of complicated. Well, not really that complicated, but pretty much would be constantly like flatten the dough out into like a thin sheet and then fold it in on itself, give it a rest, flatten it again, fold it in, flatten it again, fold it in. And my idea was that all these folds would like 
create air gaps in the dough and then those air gaps would act or like mimic like a leavening agent um i, I tried it. it i mean it definitely leavened more than just the brick i wouldn't call it like fluffy or anything um but that was just an idea i had i don't know if i could expand on it try it again um trying to think of other other things i don't know i made a it was like a chocolate tart it's like a chocolate tart to use the seaweed extract called agar um, to solidify it instead of cornstarch. Because I feel like cornstarch can lead to kind of a too much of like a grainy flavor. And then the, the seaweed extract, it works really, really well. So yeah, that was something I was experimenting with. Very cool. And we have a question from the audience before we go on. So how yeah. does weather impact baking, especially at high altitudes and how do you account for cloudy days versus sunny days? Um, um, for me personally, I think the temperature affects more than the altitude. I haven't really noticed much difference with altitude, but with temperature, it makes a huge difference in uh, like rise time for sourdough. So like even um, like when I'm feeding my sourdough, like say it's 65 degrees in my apartment, it'll take maybe, I mean, obviously depending on the, the ratio of sourdough that I use, but regardless of that, um, 65 degrees may take like 12 hours, but if I put it in my oven with the light on and it's like 90 degrees in there, it takes like two hours. So temperature I think is really huge. I honestly haven't really noticed much with altitude, but, uh, I kind of just with the sourdough, I just wait for it to rise to what I think is ideal. Like, um, that's where it's kind of like art versus science. Like you can take the temperature and like record exactly how high it's going, but like that only works to an extent. There's a point where you have to just look at it and be like, I think it's done or I think it's not done sort of thing. So, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, I it answered it for me, I think. Um, right. uh, yeah, so talk to us about the choice um, uh, going vegan. So you've been three and a half years? Yeah, just about three and a half. Yeah. So the first person I ever met, like really, really got to know that was vegan was this, um, German exchange student in when I was in high school. Uh, before that, like I'd heard of the word vegan and kind of knew what it was. Like, it's just weird people that choose to not eat animal products for whatever reason. And then, um, yeah, this German guy, he was a triathlete, um, pretty fit. And I mean, definitely fitter than me. Just, yeah, I got to know him pretty well. And I was just thinking like, man, because I always thought vegans were like super skinny and frail and on the verge of death and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, we just kept talking and he kept telling me more and more about both like the health and the, the ethics of it and why he did it. Um, and I under like everything he said, I like understood it really well. Um, but it just took me a long time for it to really, really sink in for me to make a difference or like make a change. And, um, so it was about a year after that where I decided like it's time to do something. And then I went vegetarian for about a month and then vegan after that. And yeah, and then I guess in terms of the reasons why I did it, um, mostly ethics, a little bit of um, health reasons in there, but it's mostly the ethics. Cause like, I mean, I still eat unhealthy just like anyone else. Like you can still eat, like everyone knows like Oreos are vegan or um, a lot of candies vegan sort of thing. But yeah, it's just like the ethics of like living in a first world country where we have access to like any food we need. It's like hard to justify still buying animal products that um, it's hard to argue that they're ethical when you can buy you know, rice, bananas, apples, avocados, whatever else. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so we have access to all of this food um, and it's, it's kind of an ethics issue, but also what is the, what are the health benefits of that as well? So, um, I mean, just animal products in general are full of things that we don't need and we shouldn't be consuming. So the biggest one would be like cholesterol and saturated fat. Um, cholesterol doesn't exist at all in any plants. It just isn't there. And our body needs cholesterol, but it makes its own cholesterol. So we don't, we don't need to consume it. Um, and then with saturated fat, there's only a few sources of saturated fat in plants. There's like, what is it? Coconuts, palm oil, and chocolate have um, saturated fat in them. But besides that, it's like, it doesn't really exist anywhere else, but they're full of, um, animal products are full of saturated fats. So they just, you know, raise your blood pressure. They can clog your arteries, um, just make your body not function 
the way it's supposed to be. And that, that's, the, that's the biggest issue, I believe, with the animal products. But there are other things like uh, um, the type of iron that's in animal products is an oxidant. So it oxidizes your body, which isn't good. Um, and then there are also some other problems with uh, certain types of protein, like milk proteins can accelerate cancer growth if you do have cancer. So there's a lot of things like that. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, when you say oxidize your body, what does that mean? So it's like, um, there are these things called free radicals in your body that pretty much they can damage cells and then oxidants can accelerate the damaging of cells. So then maybe you've heard of the, the term antioxidants before. Mm -hmm. It's like they always advertise it in like fruit juices or whatever. Um, and those are things just the opposite of oxidants. So they help um, cancel out free radicals. That's what antioxidants do. But then oxidants enhance and kind of accelerate like the breakdown of cells and the death of cells sort of thing. Interesting. Yeah. So one of the things that I always had trouble with was or people kept asking me was where do you find your sources of protein mm -hmm. if you're not getting them from eggs or milk and mm -hmm. meats yeah so um i mean just i'm thinking like from uh like for example a gorilla gorillas are like really 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 muscular and the majority of their diet is grass and leaves and whatever is hanging off a tree like the only the only animal products they really eat are like bugs that just happen to be stuck on a leaf that they're eating. They're, they don't really consume like massive quantities of meat. So there's that. But then also, um, if you think about like the where, like where the traditional sense of protein, right? So like you said, eggs, milk, uh, or like beef, chicken, all that sort of stuff. All those animals only eat plants, right? So like the, I mean, a cow is obviously like steaks are full of protein. And all they do is walk around and depending on the farm, they'll eat corn, soy, grass, wheat, maybe like a wheat grass. I don't know what exactly they eat, but the point is like they all eat plants. So they're obviously getting their protein from plants. So if we just bypass the animal, we could get the protein from the plants. Um, and, and all plants have protein. I was, when I was in community college, I was doing a project on just uh, veganism in general. And I, I searched if you were to eat 2000 calories worth of iceberg lettuce, you would have, or not iceberg, romaine lettuce, you would have uh, over 200 grams of protein per day. Oh, wow. Just lettuce. Yeah. So it, it, the protein's there. It's just not as, it's just not as obvious. Um, Cause obviously lettuce is also full of water and fiber, but I mean, things like beans, beans also come with carbs and, and fiber or like nuts nuts are also full of healthy fats but they also have the fiber so it's just not as i guess i would say isolated so like you know chicken is like almost all protein but in plants it's like there's a lot of protein there but it comes with other little things of carbs and fats and fiber or whatever else yeah. i wanted to ask about um you talked about bypassing the animal um mm. there's the trophic pyramid are you familiar with that trophic. is that like the the kind of like the reduction of resources mm -hmm. as the Thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, what can you talk to us about that a bit? Yeah. So, um, I don't know exactly like, like the numbers on that sort of thing, but the basic idea is that if you were to take, say like a hundred pounds of some kind of plant, let's say like corn, like dried corn that like, a uh, chickens would eat or whatever. If you take that hundred pounds, you can either like feed it directly to people and it would provide, let's say just for the sake of argument, like 10,000 calories. But if you were to feed that corn to a chicken, the chicken lives and lives and lives and drinks water and keeps living and eventually the chicken is slaughtered and then that chicken is turned into food, that those calories would be significantly less than the corn itself. So it's like every time that animal eats a previous product, the calories are like significantly cut down. So it's like, yeah, I mean like corn to chicken, but then if like another animal ate chicken, ate that chicken, then the calories would be further reduced uh, down. And it doesn't only go for calories, but it also goes for like water use, for example. So um, if like a cow is drinking gallons and gallons of water a day, that's all just kind of going through the cow with no benefit to the planet or humans or really anyone because the water is just being wasted and wasted and wasted. Um, again, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know like even just avoiding like one 
meal that has beef in it and saves thousands of gallons worth of water, which is hard to like conceptualize at first because you're thinking like this tiny little steak or a tiny little burger, like how is this thousands of gallons? But if you think about a cow that had to live like minimum two and a half, three years and they're drinking gallons of water every single day, like that adds up really, really, really fast. Right. Yeah. So um, there's almost um, an ethical uh, responsibility to the environment as well mm -hmm. as to the animal itself. Yeah. Um, to why we should be eating vegan and looking for these alternatives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it also comes like with the, the one thing I didn't mention was like greenhouse gases. So all these years that these cows are living, you know, all the fecal matter they produce, it's producing methane gas and methane's like, I think 25 or 30 times more potent of a greenhouse gas compared to carbon dioxide. So, I mean, like there's millions and millions of cows on the planet and they're all producing this methane. And when you compare that to all of transportation, animal agriculture produces more greenhouse gas emissions than all of transportation. So all of transportation is like all cars, boats, airplanes, and then the little things like submarines and shipping container, whatever else, all of that combined is less than all the animals in terms of greenhouse gas. That's insane to hear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so what about the ethics to the animal? Like mm -hmm. what, what do we owe the animals in terms of, I guess, respect and responsibility um, as a first world country? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's just hard to justify, like you said, like in a first world country, it's because in the eyes of the law, like a pig and a potato are equivalent. But if you like, if you had a pig and a potato in front of you, you'd probably like pet the pig and play around with it. Cause you, I mean, I haven't seen a pig in person before, but you probably play around with it and you probably cook the potato. Like the first instinct of us isn't, you don't look at a chicken or a, or a pig or a cow and think, Ooh, like that looks delicious. You know, it's like, it's a living, breathing, funny, weird animal that's walking around and living its life. Um, it's also hard, I think, in my opinion, to justify like um, organic or grass fed or free range sort of things. Because at the end of the day, like death is death. Like whether an animal grew up in a, in a factory farm and had a horrible life and then was killed, or if an animal, you know, lived a happy, you know, walking around on grass for years life and then was killed. I, I think it's just as bad because it's, I mean, no one like, it's hard to justify killing someone or something, however you want to look at it, without it wanting to die, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, and then even, and, and then a lot of people ask, a lot of people ask vegans, like, why not just vegetarian? Like, eggs don't uh, kill animals or uh, milk doesn't kill animals. But if you look deeper in, in with that, um, for example, like, without getting too uh, detailed with, uh, with dairy, when, like, for a cow to produce milk, um, or for like a mother cow to produce milk, it has to be a mother. Like it won't just produce milk for the sake of producing milk. So most cows, when they're born, they're instantly taken away from their mother. Um, so they don't drink their mother's milk. Their mother cries for days, um, wondering where uh, their child went because the industry needs the mother's milk. They, they can't have both. They can't have the cow drinking the milk and also taking the milk away from the mother. And then f most of the time, if the cow is born male and they'll be given to the veal industry just because they won't be able to produce milk later on in life. So they're just grown or raised for a few months until they're ready to be killed for veal. And then in the egg industry, I, I can't, I still can't believe like the first time I saw this video, it's um, same sort of thing where chicks that are born male, they're seen as a waste product in the egg industry. So they're, they're just, there's no reason to feed them. There's no reason to keep them alive. So depending on the exact um, facility, they'll either just be thrown in a bag and they'll just die in a bag or um, in more high end facilities, they're just killed instantly in a grinder sort of thing. <laughs> I don't want to get too gruesome, but yeah. 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 I think yeah. I've seen the videos are kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, talk to us about moving into some more lighter uh, mm -hmm. topics, yeah. but you bake a lot of products that have normally egg mm -hmm. or milk products. So like mm -hmm. the croissants that you made were 
completely vegan. Um, yeah. Talk to us about how you um, adapt baking mm. and cooking for your diet and for that lifestyle. Yeah. So most baking, it's like yeah, like you said, like and or um, like milk, eggs, butter. Those are like the three big animal products that are used in um, in baking and in cooking, or mostly baking. Um, so I think the hardest one to kind of work around would be eggs because milk, milk's pretty easy. Like there's so many milk alternatives that kind of, um, apply differently to depending on what you're doing. I'd say the two best ones are soy milk and oat milk because they still have that creamy, rich fattiness of like uh, whole milk or cream. And then with butter, that one's pretty easy too. You can use coconut oil, depending on the application, you can use like coconut oil, um, like earth balance, vegan butter use if you really want to like crisco i mean it, it's it works and it's just as unhealthy as butter so the eggs are the big one because they they're just so versatile with baking because like there aren't really that many foods where you can go from a liquid and just add a little bit of heat and it instantly you know solidifies so um with some with a lot of things you can just honestly get rid of the eggs and it'll be just fine things like pancakes or waffles the um, the flour itself is like a good enough binder to, to work like eggs. But there are a few things that I still don't really know how to replace. I've tried making um, like eclairs or uh, pop, like, I don't remember what they're called, but it's the thing that I still don't know how to replace. And I know you need eggs for them. Um, I'm trying to think of other egg replacers, like tofu is a really good egg replacer and like scrambled eggs or um, any sort of kind of cake. You can just blend tofu into it, and it the protein within tofu acts like the protein within an egg. And then also another one is uh, flax seeds or flax meal. If you mix flax meal with water, it like gels, kind of similar to an egg, and that one works well for like muffins and uh, cake and cupcakes and stuff like that. But I, I'd even for a lot of applications, I think eggs aren't really necessary. If you just give it a try without eggs, think like a easy example would just be like a boxed cake mix. Like if you give it a try without eggs. And just maybe add a little bit more water, um, it'll it'll still work. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I that's completely new information to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that you also mentioned was um, using chickpea. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, so the if you get like a can of chickpeas or garbanzo beans, whatever you want to call them, uh, and you take the juice out of it, it whips exactly like an egg white. So. Um, in one of my cooking classes in at an AU, we had to like I convinced my group to make everything vegan. Just cause, uh, I don't know, I was good at convincing them, but um, and we made a like lemon like a lemon tart bars, and they were gluten free, nut free, and vegan. Um, and then for the the topping, we just whipped that chickpea juice, which the technical term for it is aquafaba, which I think just means bean water. And, um, and you just whip that with sugar as you would like egg whites with sugar. And it, it increases in volume like three or four times, maybe more. And it's super fluffy and you can still blow torch it and make it like a, yeah, like a meringue. So that, that one works really, really well. And it's kind of mind blowing the first time you do it. Cause it's just like this kind of, it's like a cloudy, weird looking bean water. And all of a sudden you, uh, you whip it up and it's a foam and yeah. So the other thing that you do that really interests me is you started dumpster diving yeah yeah okay yeah you, you want me to just like talk about that or yeah because as you know as someone who's living as a starving artist in new york without mm -hmm. unemployment checks coming through you know yeah um yeah so like? yeah so i started doing that in like mid or early february um i met this guy through a professor and we had like mutual interest in like environmentalism and um, vegan diets and yes, all of that sort of thing. And then my professor had been telling me that this guy dumpster dives and I've tried it once before, like years ago, it was pretty unsuccessful. I found like a bag of lettuce. That was about it. <laughs> but, um, this guy told me about it and he said he hadn't bought groceries in months. And then one of his, um, one of his best friends that he's a roommate with, he hadn't bought groceries in a year and a half at the time. Now it's probably coming up on two years that he hasn't bought any groceries ever in two years. Um, so I'm like, geez, like how, like these guys are either actually thriving off of this or they're like overhyping it. And really they're just eating crap all the time. 
so I was like, I was curious to see what they were doing. And, and like you from Flagstaff, you know, the bashes that's um, kind of north of downtown. Uh, yes. Yeah. So they told me about that and we were planning on going together so they would show me, but I was like too curious just to see what it was like. So I biked there in the middle of the night and I pull up and I see this guy in his car that kind of freak out and just biked away. But then I see him getting in the dumpster. So, okay. Then I go back and I, I meet him and apparently this guy knows my other friend. So it's just kind of this triangle of like people that know the dumpster culture. And, um, so then he was showing me kind of how it works and you just kind of get in. And that day was a huge, like successful day. Like I got 10 packages of organic blueberries, um, bananas, potatoes, onions, bell peppers. Those are a lot of the basic things that are always there. And, um, yeah, it just like blew my mind. Like I loaded my backpack, just packed, probably weighed 30 pounds of food, I biked home, just mind blown the whole time. Like called my mom, like, you're not going to believe what I just did. And, um, yeah, so it all started there, and then now it's been since early uh, February since I've been doing that. Like, the only things I really ever buy anymore are occasionally, like, a little bag of oatmeal. Uh, I think that's, like, the only thing I buy. Like, I, I haven't bought anything else. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's just great. Like, I, I love that the dumpster almost dictates what I'm, what I'm going to cook, what I'm going to eat, how I'm going to figure out how to cook it as opposed yeah. to like going to the grocery store and deciding it's like the dumpster decides for me. And it's pretty exciting. Cause it's like, you know, some days I'll, I think like two days ago, I found five boxes of strawberries. So I've been having like two strawberry banana smoothies a day now um, for a couple of days, but like strawberries will run out soon and then I won't have berries, but then I'll find some more in a couple of days. And it just kind of cycles through like whatever's available. Yeah. So we have a question from the audience, um, which is how, how do you, you know, ensure that they're not contaminated or what do you, yeah. are you worried about that? I guess there's, well, there's like two worries with that. I guess currently there's the worried of the COVID-19 thing, but I guess the first I'll start with kind of the general worry of like dirtiness in there. Um, I mean, as long as you don't grab anything that looks ridiculously bad, like it'll probably be fine because what, what the employees do, because I used to work at Sprouts what they do is they just go kind of make rounds around the produce and just look for anything that's like slightly blemished or maybe a day overripe or whatever. And they toss it all in a box. And then once that box is full, they just walk out back and toss the box in. So it's not like it's gone through some uh, process of like getting contaminated with other disgusting things. But then in terms of the, like the COVID-19 contamination, um, I honestly don't think, I'm not too worried about it because the produce is still coming from the same spot. Like it's, you know, pe even today, like people still grab a tomato and feel it and they're like, Oh, I don't like this one. And they put it back. So I think that the contamination is just as good or bad. However you want to look at it as if I were buying it in the grocery store, um, depending on the fruit or the, the food I find, I do wash it. If it's like bananas, I probably still should, but I don't like the only things I really wash would be like, grapes potatoes i always wash regardless um i'm not too worried about it i mean maybe i should be more but i, I don't know i mean you haven't died yet <laughs> yeah yeah that's true um so but that almost i mean that speaks to how much we're wasting as a culture oh yeah it is it is insane um like i try to think like big examples of waste i've seen uh one day i was in the sprouts dumpster and i kid you not there was about 80 cantaloupes in there and i'd say about half of them were nothing wrong with them like normal perfectly ripe cantaloupes 80 of them and and i'm thinking like okay this is one sprouts in a relatively small town in one state there are thousands of sprouts and there are thousands or hundreds of different grocery store brands and they all have dumpsters like this and it's just like worldwide it's it's crazy how can we you know lessen our ways because, and yeah, that just seems like we're giving all of this energy and food that could be distributed to people mm -hmm. and we're just tossing it. So it's almost as if we are wasting all of that water and nutrients and proteins that went into developing and transport of those foods. Mm -hmm. It's just all in the garbage. So how can yeah. we, as a culture and community, sort of mitigate that? 
Yeah, um, I think w one of the biggest reasons a lot of food is thrown away isn't because there's actually anything wrong with them. I mean, sure, like there's some fruit that have been like smashed for whatever reason, they have to be thrown out, but a lot of the food is just visually imperfect. So I think as a culture, if we get away from every tomato needing to be this perfect like egg-shaped thing and every broccoli needs to be like, looks like a beautiful tree, um, I think that would eliminate a lot of the waste that the store throws out because I don't think, like as far as I know, I don't think there's a policy out there that's like, if the tomato is shaped like this, thrown in the dumpster, I think it's the grocery store knows that a tomato shaped like this, consumers are not gonna buy, so they might as well throw it away. But if consumers begin like not caring about their tomato a little bit weirdly shaped or carrots really weirdly shaped, um, I think that could help um, to an extent. But I mean, another thing might be like, I, I don't know, I, I've thought about it before, but I really don't know how to eliminate like that level of waste. I think there's a lot of little steps we can do. I don't know what like a big policy level thing could do. Because I mean, it's also overbuying. Like a lot of the time when things are thrown out, like the strawberries I found, there was nothing wrong with them. They weren't moldy, they weren't mushy, they weren't overripe. So I'm assuming with something like that, um, they just overbought strawberries. So they just threw out the old ones to get the new ones in. So the overbuying from the grocery store is another thing that leads to a lot of the problems. But I also understand why they do it. If they if they underbuy on accident, then they don't they can't cover profits and they can't um, or cover costs and yeah. So I really don't know, honestly. Like I, I besides like maybe people getting into growing some of their own food and kind of using like communal gardens sort of thing, I think that could help. But that's a much bigger like kind of cultural community step that would need to be taken. And how, I mean, what are steps that we might be able to take that start us on this process of creating those community gardens? I think one would be like teaching, teaching gardening or just basic gardening in, in like elementary schools. Like the only thing I ever did with gardening in school was like the pea, I think they were like peas, like everyone oh, yeah. sprouts a pea or whatever. Um, but I think it's just like growing your own food is such a, from a human standpoint is such a basic thing, but it's not taught at all in schools. Like even, I mean, there are plenty of foods that are really easy to grow, like herbs, like basil and, and uh, cilantro and all that sort of things. Like they're, you, you can't really mess it up that bad. In Flagstaff, it's a little hard to grow some of those, but, um, but in general, I, so I think, I think teaching that from a young age would be really, really cool because just the ability to have the, the knowledge to, take a seed and some dirt and within a few months have kind of food at your disposal that you can trade with other people and that sort of thing. It's like an invaluable uh, thing to know. So I think that would be kind of, I think that would be the first step we could do to kind of um, kickstart people knowing how to grow their own food. Cause then it gets that interest from a young age and then those people can grow up and have their own gardens and explore that world. So, I mean, we're talking about starting young. Um, for people who haven't ever, you know, done anything with gardening and eating healthy, how do we, how do we change to that specific diet, um, that lifestyle? I think it's, it's all about like finding your reason why to change. Like whether, like there's some people that like certain diseases might run in their family and they want to like, not keep that legacy on, like cut that off. Um, there might be, you know, personal like fitness or weight loss goals, or it could be just higher energy goals. Like if you're always sluggish and tired, um, all those sort of things. I really think it comes down to like finding out why you want to do it. Um, and it doesn't just only need to be healthy. It could be like, if you eat more environmentally conscious, you'll probably also eat healthier. Like if the environment is really like your number one, like I want to help the environment, like that's my biggest goal. I think you'll naturally eat healthier by eating more environmentally conscious sort of thing. And now why is it important to eat environmentally consciously? Uh, I think it's just kind of our duty with, I mean, humans have messed up the planet so much that um, it's kind of our duty individually to do our best 
to kind of reverse what we do, what we've done. And then I know a lot of people like are controversial about the whole global warming thing, but even if you get away, okay, like just like ignore global warming for a second and think about all the other things we've done with like, like pollution. Like, I mean, you've seen like those pictures of rivers and, and streams and lakes that are just full of feet of, you know, plastic cups and, and plastic, everything, like even that sort of thing. It's if, if you eat, if you, if you're environmentally conscious enough to like avoid the packaged foods, your only options are then going to be like the fresh produce, the bulk bins where you can get like rice and beans, like and fill them in your own containers or like local bakeries where you buy the bread and it's just bread. Like there's no, or just relatively low, like excess uh, packaging and plastic with it. Um, yeah. So I think just naturally you will most likely eat healthier if you eat more environmentally conscious, as well as you'll also most likely eat healthier if you eat more like ethically conscious, um, even though there are like, like uh, vegan junk food and vegan donuts and all that sort of thing, for the most part, you will kind of be naturally skewed more towards the health side if you are eating ethically conscious. Um, so one of the things that you talked about, um, I think over the summer was Europe and the European food system. Um, what what have you noticed are beyond what we've already been talking about? How do they, can you use them as a model at all? Or maybe the Asiatic countries? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know too many examples. I know in France, they, I think it's illegal for grocery stores and restaurants to throw out food. Um, so they've kind of, the, those restaurants and grocery stores on an individual level have had to change their system in order to work like with these laws so grocery stores have now like programs in, in place where the food that normally would be thrown out here in the u.s goes to like food banks or homeless shelters or whatever else like that and then another thing i know is in germany um there's i don't know if it's like a like a nationwide program but at least in berlin there's um an app you can get where it's like a subscription service kind of where you pay like 10 euros or whatever and you get food from a restaurant. Like you don't know exactly what it is, but like say there's like a local favorite restaurant you have and they always have food waste. So you kind of, it's like, okay, I'll pay 10 euros and they'll give me a bunch of food. Like it's probably worth more than 10 euros. You just don't know what it is. Like it could be like 50 spring rolls and that's what you get. Or it could be like, you know, some, a bunch of different sides or it could be an actual meal so it's just kind of like a a way of the restaurants still minimizing the waste or eliminating it completely possibly um, as well as the restaurants still profiting um, and covering their costs from the food that they are producing because it does really suck i mean rest running a restaurant's already really hard from a financial standpoint because the margins are small um, so it's like a win-win like there's no food being thrown out and you're helping these restaurants continue to thrive and you can support the restaurants you like. That's almost, I mean, um, that seems to me almost like dumpster diving, but cutting the middlemen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so what about when you get just a random box of food, do you have to learn how to cook with that or do you just know, or are you experimenting? Do you, do you mean like from dumpsters or like when I cook? Yeah. Where do you go? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I think for the most part, most vegetables are, or most, most like foods kind of are in categories. So like grains, like if you boil them for long enough and kind of taste it and see how it's going as it goes, that's just kind of how I do it. I mean, I rarely find grains in, um, in the dumpster. Occasionally there's like a bag of flour or something. Um, but with grains, I mean, yeah, just kind of boil them until they seem about right. <laughs> and then with most vegetables, it's the same sort of thing. It's like onions, peppers, zucchini, they're all pretty much cooked the same. You, like you cut them up, throw it in a hot pan and cook them until they're done sort of thing. Like um, the friend that taught me about dumpster diving, he, him and his roommates, they always make dinner together. They all dumpster dive, they're all vegan. Um, and they, the food they make, they call it grog, which is pretty <laughs> much just get, get a hot pan, cut up all the vegetables that are like ready to, you know, like if you don't eat them within a couple of days, they'll go bad. Just cut them all up, throw them in the hot pan, stir it for 20 minutes, and then they just add like, you know, salt, garlic powder, pepper, nutritional yeast, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of, I mean, occasionally I'll find a food that I don't really know what it is, so I have to look it up. 
I found like a, oh, I can't, it's some tropical fruit. I don't remember what it's called. Kind of tastes like, you know what a, like a durian looks like? Um, like a jackfruit. jackfruit. Oh, yeah, jackfruit, yeah. It was like a jackfruit, but like this big, like the size of a softball. And it was oh. kind of squishy and you rip it open and it has like, it smelled like a pear and a pineapple and it had the texture of like a fibrous pudding, which sounds really weird, but yeah, it was good. I liked it. <laughs> um, I have another question from the audience, which actually mm -hmm. leads into my next question, which is, what about frozen foods? How, um, why are those bad for us? And then also going past frozen foods with prepackaged foods and, mm -hmm. you know, the new, um, you know, those services that deliver them, uh, they deliver meals to your door, but they're all in this box and it's like the, the it's, but it's raw food that you still have to cook. Yeah. You still have yeah, to yeah. cook it. It's still like in those packages. Well, what about those? Um, I mean, frozen food, I, I, I mean, obviously there's different categories of frozen food. There's something like basic, like frozen corn or frozen peas. That's like on the very basic end. And then the other end, there's like, you know, frozen, like, enchiladas with a side of rice and beans and all these like little compartments. So I think it all depends on what spectrum of that you're looking at. Um, so from a health perspective, there's actually some or a lot of research showing that if it's something like corn or peas, they might be better than fresh. Because what happens with uh, with a lot of those foods is they're picked when they're ripe. And then they, um, they immediately freeze them. So like they're, they're just kind of frozen in time when they were at their peak ripeness, as opposed to something like corn, if you buy it fresh, it was picked early um, and it's been ripening like in the transportation process, like depending on where it came from. So you're actually getting less nutrients from the fresh compared to the frozen. But then from the environmental perspective, there's all the packaging, obviously like a, a ear of corn has no packaging. It might have like a rubber band or sticker on it as opposed to a whole bag um, or a box or, or whatever. But really from a health perspective, if you're still eating like these whole minimally processed foods, um, there's no difference or slightly better um, with the frozen foods, I think. Um, when we say processed foods, what, what does that mean? Yeah, um, so one of the, the best definitions I found for processed foods was you know what a like a durian looks like if anything good has been removed or anything bad has been added in that's a processed food because there are certain times where um things may be removed but that makes it better so for example uh cocoa powder is better than like chocolate because most of the fat like the saturated fat has been removed from the chocolate and has made it into cocoa it was good i liked it <laughs> Um, I have another question from the audience, which actually mm. leads into my next question, which is, what about frozen foods? How, um, why are those bad for us? And then also going past frozen foods with prepackaged foods and, mm. you know, the new, um, you know, those services that deliver them, uh, they deliver meals to your door, but they're all in this prepackaged oh, box and... It's like the, the it's, but it's raw food that you still have to cook. Yeah, you still have yeah, to yeah. cook it. It's still like in those packages. Um, what about those? Um, I mean, frozen food, I, I, I mean, obviously there's different categories of frozen food. There's something like basic, like frozen corn or frozen peas. That's like on the very basic end. And then the other end, there's like, you know, frozen like enchiladas with a side of rice and beans and all these like little compartments. So I think it all depends on what, spectrum of that you're looking at. Um, so from a health perspective, there's actually some or a lot of research showing that if it's something like corn or peas, they might be better than fresh. Because what happens with um, with a lot of those foods is they're picked when they're ripe. And then they um, they immediately freeze them. So like they're, they're just kind of frozen in time when they were at their peak ripeness, as opposed to something like corn, if you buy it fresh, it was picked early um, and it's been ripening like in the transportation process, like depending on where it came from. So you're actually getting less nutrients from the fresh compared to the frozen. Um, but then from the environmental perspective, there's all the packaging, obviously like a, a ear of corn 
has no packaging. It might have like a rubber band or a sticker on it as opposed to a whole bag um, or a box or, or whatever of corn. But really from a health perspective, if you're still eating like these whole minimally processed foods, um, there's no difference or slightly better um, with the frozen foods, I think. Um, when we say processed foods, what, what does that mean? Um, yeah, um, so one of the, the best definitions I found for processed foods was if anything good has been removed or anything bad has been added in, that's a processed food. Because there are certain times where um, things may be removed, but that makes it better. So for example, uh, cocoa powder is better than like chocolate because most of the fat, like the saturated fat has been removed from the chocolate and has made it into cocoa powder. And then another thing would be like, if you, even if you take like oatmeal, oatmeal is an unprocessed food, but you add sugar to it and now it's processed because you've added in something bad. So that, that's, that's the, I think the easiest way to understand it. Like anything good removed or anything bad added, it's a processed food. Very cool. So um, you, the last time I saw you, you were making your own baked goods to sell. Is that still going on? Um, I haven't done that since probably like early March when everything was just kind of like crashing or whatever with the uh, COVID. Um, yeah, because I was selling to Steep. Uh, I was doing about 12 to 18 cookies a week. So not anything crazy, but um, a little bit. And then I sold, I don't think this place opened while you were still here, but um, it's a kava bar. You know that drink, kava? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, it opened like on San Francisco and Butler. Um, no and I sold, huh? No way. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't tried the, I haven't tried any of their stuff. But yeah, I sold them 12 cookies once and then COVID hit. And it was all kind of destroyed, even though they're still open. Um, I don't know. I'm sure they're struggling. So I kind of avoided going in there. <laughs> but yeah. So what, um, speaking of COVID and all the restrictions, what's sort of the future of the food industry? Uh, I don't know. I, I just heard, you know, sweet tomatoes or soup plantation. Even it's like a buffet salad bar soups <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. So I, um, they just announced today that they're permanently closing their buffet style. I don't know if that means they're going to transition to like a more normal restaurant, like put an order in or whatever sort of style, but they're permanently closing all their buffets. Um, so that's, that's pretty huge because they're like a nationwide company. And, um, but if you, yeah, I think it'll definitely be changed for a while. I've even seen ads on, I don't know why I'm getting these ads on Instagram, but ads for, um, restaurant robots that like, can operate like fry machines or grills, stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know exactly how it will be changed. I really, I've only worked in the food industry, like through the bakery, um, the cafe and Chipotle, but I do think there'll be permanent, um, changes with, uh, with just the whole industry in general with sanitation and just much more, um, strict rules. And, and potentially maybe buffets closing are being more rare. Uh, speaking of restaurant robots, um, what are, what's up with synthetic meats? Are those, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Why well, do, do you mean synthetic meats? Like the ones that are just made like with like beans or the ones made with like soy protein? Or do you mean ones that are like lab grown? Yeah, the lab grown. Lab grown. Uh, I don't think at least in the US, I don't think they're legal yet. They're still like in the uh, development phase. But I don't know. I, I don't know too much about what the like their actual um, what they'll be made of exactly. Like I know they'll be lab grown. I don't know if they're going to be like nutritionally equivalent to um, real meat, which if they are, that kind of be sad because then it's like, you're avoiding the ethics, but then you're still going to be feeding um, especially like Western countries or like the US where people have chronic diseases like uh, diabetes and cancer, you're still going to be feeding them the exact same like cancer causing foods. So from the health perspective, I think it might be not too good. Um, I honestly hope lab grown meats just kind of 
don't take off. I think we, I think what we have, like, I don't know if you've tried the Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger. They have them at Burger King and Carl's Jr. I think they're, I mean, they're really good. Like I haven't had meat in three years, three and a half, but I think honestly they taste like just as good and they're still improving their recipe like um, all the time. So I think that's like, like, I don't know. I don't think we need to push it further and further beyond what already exists. Like, I don't know if we need to be like growing ribs and, and like tomahawk steaks or whatever. Um, so part of me hopes it doesn't catch on just from the health perspective, even though it would be good. Uh, it would, you know, dodge the whole ethics problem, but it, um, I think nutritionally it'll, it'll just put us back to square one with like the steps we've been taking to eat more plant-based. And then if we have lab grown meats, it'll just be like as if nothing ever happened and then standard American diet will come back and then <laughs> chronic disease will keep going up as it's always been going up. So. Um, I have one more question for you. So you mm -hmm. mentioned that um, at the very beginning of this uh, interview, you were talking about your notions and your ideas of what a vegan was mm -hmm. before you became a vegan. Um, mm -hmm. How can we, how can we break down the stereotypes? Like as vegans or like a society? Uh, both. But um, I think from vegans, I think it's kind of like our duty to better represent what it is to be vegan. So not to say like, it's bad to be like a hippie, but like personally, I think it helps the cause more if I don't fit the stereotype. Because I think when most people look at me, they don't assume I'm vegan as opposed to like if they look at someone like Woody Harrelson. <laughs> like, I don't know, if, I, I doubt he's vegan, but I, I'd imagine people would think he's more vegan than I'm vegan, you know? Just kind of yeah. the, the image we present. Um, and there's a lot of like vegan athletes out there in all sports. Like one of the best ultra runners in the world is vegan. Um, there's, I, I can't remember what football team, the, um, there's some football team where the majority of their team has adopted a vegan diet mostly for athletic performance reasons, but obviously there's other benefits to it. Um, so I think just better representing physically as well as how we speak with like activism, um, kind of getting away from the whole like throwing red paint on people that are like at a steakhouse or whatever, like that's just gonna make them hate you more. Um, so there's that. And then I think from a society, perspective it's just like i mean it, this all comes down to like an individual level but just being open-minded to why they did it i remember when i was little all i thought was like so there are people out there that don't want to eat a chicken nugget sort of thing like just that like why would you not do that like are you an right. idiot and i just looked at it at the surface level but if you think of it's not that they'd look at the chicken nugget and it's disgusting like if i were to theoretically eat a chicken nugget right now it would taste great it'd be crispy in whatever, like it'd be good in every way. So that's not why I don't eat them anymore. It's I don't eat them because of where it comes from and the repercussion it has environmentally and health wise. Um, so I think if people are open minded to ask why they did it rather than assume they're just weird. <laughs> um, I think those are two major things. Yeah. Awesome. Andres, uh, thank you again. Um, anything else before we sign off? I don't think so. I think it's uh, it all. Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh...